hearts. So with that, I'm going to transition to our sermon, and as I often do, I'm going to invite you to take a few moments to breathe, to pause, to gather yourself, and I want you to kind of think of the things that maybe are on your mind that are causing you stress, that are bothering you, and just take a few moments to uh, leave those, to lay them aside, to breathe them out, and uh, so that we might open ourselves up to what the Holy Spirit might be doing in our midst and in your life. So let us pray. O breath of God, the one who gives us the breath of life, help us open our hearts and our minds to what it is you would have us see, regardless of what I say today, speak to us, give us what we need to continue to be your people growing every day in grace, perfected in love. We ask all of this in your son's name, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior and friend, in your name, amen. In uh, all of the conversations around, uh, in all of the conversations around uh, new church stuff, we've had lots of conversations around name, mission, vision. We've, I mean, we spent like probably too much time negotiating, working through all these details. But uh, part of this has, has resulted in a number of, you know, we're, we're a snarky group of people, so we've come up with some funny things as well that we're not going with. I've shared some of these, but one of the one of the taglines we were talking about taglines for churches. One of my favorite taglines for a church is, uh, and I'll say this every once in a while, is uh, just. Uh, Lower your expectations. And uh, if you hear me say that, you should know that I'm joking. And I, I, I say that because I say it, and I think it's funny. And then I heard someone else a couple weeks ago, after things didn't go right, they were like, hey, lower your expectations. And I didn't think it was as funny that time when I wasn't the one saying it. So uh, especially when things hadn't gone the way that we had hoped that particular Sunday, and also my sermon wasn't the way I hoped it would be. And, you know, but I am joking when I say that. And, but, but, but one of the leadership's lessons that I've, that I've learned, that, which is really, really important lesson, is this. Um, expectations does, joy is rooted in expectations, and when expectations aren't met, you can cause people an immense amount of pain. And so one of the things you'll hear people say is you got to under-promise and over-deliver. Have you heard this before? And, and that is a, a great tool for leading or... interacting under promise and over deliver. In fact, uh, Jesus tells a parable that's very similar to this. He tells us these two sons, you know, and they're both asked to go work in the field. And, and one of the sons says, yeah, right on it, dad, and then doesn't go. So he over promises and under delivers. But the other son's like, dad, I can't, I'm too busy. And then he ends up going out anyways. So he under promises over delivers. And Jesus is just like an example. He's teaching us this very simple wisdom. So we can say all day long uh, that, the, that, that the church is meant to be perfect and holy. Um, but it's better for us to be honest uh, with you and with each other and say that, you know what? I don't want to try to overextend your expectation of how great we're going to be. This is a big part of our culture. This is a part of who we are. And, and I say all that to say um, for you not to freak out on what I'm going to say next. So part of our culture is like, just relax. It's not a big deal. 
lower your expectations. It's going to be fine. Nothing's perfect. No one's perfect. We all make mistakes. That's part of who we are. So remember that so you don't freak out at what I'm going to say next. Jesus said this once, and I'm not making this up. It's Jesus' words. It's New Testament. Sermon on the Mount, one of the great sermons, best of the best of Jesus' teachings. And in that sermon, Jesus says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I'm, I'm curious. Uh, be perfect. <clears throat> Does anyone else feel just a little bit of anxiety with that uh, command? Yeah, yeah. Just a few of us. Be perfect as my Father in heaven. Be as perfect as God. <sighs> Jesus cuts to the chase, lays it on the line, throws it out bold and as intentional as can be. I need you to be perfect. So uh, uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at some of our basic beliefs and specifically sharing some of the beliefs we have as a church in this Wesleyan tradition, which is to say we can trace our heritage back to a guy named John Wesley from the Anglican, an Anglican church movement. And here's the thing about John Wesley. One of the things that he brought to the church, and by church I mean big church, the the theology of Christianity, one of the things that he challenged the church in that was somewhat unique to his perspective was that he believed in what Jesus said, that it was possible to be made perfect. Now, before you freak out because you haven't arrived, it's not as bad as it sounds, there are a couple things you need to know. It wasn't just being perfect, because what does that even mean? You, 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 you never spell a word wrong, in which case I would never be perfect. You, you never lose your way or get lost. Or What does that mean to actually be perfect? Well, John Wesley meant it this way, and, and this is a quote. God wants us to become, quote, perfected in love. Perfected in love. One, one more, specifically, on, more specifically, that we would become habitually filled with the love of God and neighbor. So he, quote, habitually filled with the love of God and neighbor. To be perfect meant to become better and better at loving others and loving God, to grow in our ability to love other people. And that that doesn't sound so bad. That seems like a worthy goal to get better and better every day at loving God and loving other people and loving your partner and loving your children and loving your friends better. And, and that, that takes time, right? You have to get better at it. And, and it's not about being holier than thou, but about being a better person and perfected in love. That's the goal of our faith. If we, if we have one, well, that's one of the things we're hoping will happen. So spoiler alert, friends, if you're a part of our community and you're showing up regularly and you're listening to the podcast or joining us online, one of the goals and hopes is that you become a better person over time. Now, it might be, feel overwhelming to say that you're working towards perfection, but we're essentially saying the same thing, that you over time are becoming better and better. We're, we're going towards something. We should be moving towards being perfected in love. We have to become more mature, and more skilled in how we love and respect one another. So that's the goal. And it's not a bad goal, but it's still difficult. So the question becomes, how do we do that? How do you grow? How do you become better? How do you get better at loving people? Well, here's another part of our theology, and it's the main point of today's sermon. 
Our goal is to be perfected in love. But we don't go after this goal alone. It's not something we do by ourselves. In fact, I would suggest that by ourselves, we're not going to get nearly as far as we hope. This work is made possible because of God's work in us. God's grace changes us, and we experience this through the person of God known as the Holy Spirit, or if you want to go old school, the Holy Ghost. Yeah. That's what we're going to talk about today. When Jesus came, uh, when he, Jesus came and he lived amongst his disciples, and then he, he died, he rose again, and then he ascended, so he left. He, he told his disciples that God would come and dwell not just amongst us, because that's, that's the incarnation, right? God, God dwelt amongst us, and God's presence is everywhere, but that God would dwell within us, that God would give us a gift of God's presence, that is, the Spirit of God would enable us to become more like, to be perfected in love is another way of saying we are becoming more like Jesus, who was pretty good at loving God and neighbor. Now, this is one of the main jobs of the Holy Spirit, to to work from the inside out, making us new people, renewing us from the inside. Uh, John 15, 26 says it like this, and I think I have this on the screen. But when the Helper comes, this is Jesus speaking, when the helper comes, this is, this is like the title he gives to the Holy Spirit, when the helper, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth. He's telling them that the helper's going to come. Now, some of us, some of us got an ego issue and we don't want help. I don't think any of us, though, we're all, you all are like super into getting help, right? I'll tell you something about me. I am. I'm into it. Help me out. And it took a while to get there, but I feel like the older I get, the more open I am to help because I realize my own. So the Holy Spirit is this helper. All right. So um, recently I've been uh, starting to uh, play this uh, video game called Zelda. Okay. And uh, I, was, I, 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 I tend to have special interests, and then that's all I talk about. And um, so Ben Rule, uh, Molly's husband, who some of you know, uh, said, so when is Zelda going to make it into a sermon? And I was just thinking, like, oh, my gosh. Like, that's not going to happen. That's just a bad idea. Like, I'll just lose so much credibility with you all. There'll be eyes rolling. People won't even know what Zelda is. And then the others know very much what Zelda is. Uh, can I get an amen? Uh, no? Okay. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Preach it. And uh, um, I'm just like, it's not, like, this is just a bad idea. Like, I'm not going to, that's what I'm thinking. Like, a, Zelda's never going to make it in a sermon. So, anyway, I was playing Zelda, and... Um, <laughs> And you, you fight these bosses, right? Anyone familiar with video games, right? And um, here's the thing about, I'm playing this one called Breath of the Wild, and you start out, and you suck. And you die over and over again. Like, everyone is more powerful than you. And over time, just like in life, you kind of gather more resources and stuff, and then eventually beat these bosses. And... Uh, and, and when you start beating these specific bosses, you are gifted these, these spirits that help you. And uh, um, they help you in very profound ways. One of them helps you, like, come back to life once you're dead. And so right at the last, when, right before you, when the enemy should kill you, it brings you back to life. And then there's other things that they help you with as well. Um, and you know what? What's interesting about this is as I'm playing, I forget that they're there. But then when I'm in the most dire strait possible, they show up and they revive me or whatever. And I'm like, oh, this is great. I love that the spirit's here. In all seriousness, 
in my Christian walk, sometimes I'm like, oh, what, wait, the Holy Spirit? Like, we're not, we're not particularly in this particular tradition, that this particular tradition of our church and similar churches like us, it doesn't put a heavy emphasis on the Holy Spirit. Some churches, it's all they talk about. But I will tell you this, that in my life, I might forget sometimes what the Holy Spirit's doing and I'm not paying attention. Sometimes I even wonder if the Holy Spirit's there or if God is there. But here's what I have found. When things become overwhelmingly difficult, right when I'm about to break, God has consistently showed up and done something miraculous to sustain me, to bring me back to life, to restore me, to show me, to give me another chance every time. That's God. Friends, we are trying to bring God's kingdom on this earth to live a different way, to become better people, to become better partners, to become better friends, and it's hard. And let me tell you, if you think you've arrived, you've got a long way to go. That's part of the problem. It's fine having a high self-esteem, but too much confidence in your own greatness. Watch out. Because we've got a long way to go, and a little bit of humility then opens us up, and God is allowed to speak and work, and then we need this kind of help. Now, a lot has been taught about the Holy Spirit, and there are a lot of perspectives on the Holy Spirit. It's, it's one of those parts of our faith in which, depending on your d- denomination, they believe different things. You know, some would say a variety of thoughts, and I'm not going to get into it. And we're, and we're today, one of the things about our church is we welcome a diversity of opinions. So I, my guess is that in this room, people would have different opinions about the Holy Spirit. Maybe you have no opinion. Maybe you have strong opinions, and it probably runs the gamut. What I do want us to consider today is two misunderstandings that I've seen in the church that I personally feel could get you in trouble, okay? This is not knocking any other traditions, Part of our Wesleyan tradition is at the root of our Wesleyan tradition is the charismatic church. They kind of spin off from our tradition. The work of the Holy Spirit is important to us. I'm not going to knock, but here are some misunderstandings that I think have caused harm. Um, there, there, there's, there's a couple here. The first one is this. People will at times try to convince you or try to make you feel like you have to prove that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? We're going to talk about that in a second. The second one is that sometimes people assume the Holy Spirit and its work in our life is going to produce some sort of profound, supernatural, tangible experience or awakening that changes you completely. Like that. Okay? These are two misunderstandings I want to just spend a few moments with. So the first one is that you have to prove it. When I was in high school, I made a, 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 an intent to just get to know people who are different, and it, it was it was a, a easier than than doing other things and, and in my life and, and trying to be cool. So I, I befriended this guy. He was very uh, he, was just, he was a very different individual, and uh, by different I mean he kind of lived in a 1950s time capsule. Like he wore clothes in the 1950s and. I think he put the Dapper Dan in his hair and like, yeah, no, like it was just like, he kind of stood out um, because, and, and uh, I got to know him and I, you know, it turns out he's of course a Christian. And so um, I'm like, I want to go, I want to check out your church. So I go to church with him once 
and it, it's a it's a full gospel church. So I'm a full elder. I would do well there, but uh, um, it's full gospel church, and uh, I get there. And, and and quite quite frankly, the the most beautiful thing about this church was uh, it was the most diverse group of misfits I've ever seen. I mean that in the in the biggest compliment possible, because I've always identified as a misfit. We've identified as a church of misfits at times, and this church was better at it, okay? So this is a, a you know, critique and praise together. So it's beautiful. I'm like, what they're doing is working. And having said that, they are like speaking in tongues. Now, has anyone experienced speaking in tongues? A few of you, yeah. Uh, either like yourself or other people. And uh, um, I, that's a sermon for another, another day, that, that experience, if you're confused on what that is, but it's a part of some Christian traditions. And so they're speaking in tongues. And, and when people experience this for the first time and they never have, it can be overwhelming. I remember we had an intern once who visited a church because we encouraged them to get to know other people. And, and people were speaking in tongues, but they were also like yelling at the walls and doing other weird things. Um, and, and she was very confused by this experience. So we had to spend some time to you. So that didn't bother me. I was like, you know what? You do your thing. That's been my perspective since high school. Like, you do your thing. I love that God is using it to connect community. But I rode with them. So on the way home, I'm like, this is cool. Yeah, I love that you guys have something that makes sense to you. Like, I think it's great. They, though, though, at that point, went on to explain to me that if I didn't speak in tongues, that I was not filled with the Spirit. And if I was not filled with the Spirit, I was not saved. And at that point, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> that doesn't, like, I am grateful for my mother because she, uh, she's got issues with authority. So if you want to know where it comes from. So like, when people are like, this is how it has to be. I'm like, nah, no, I actually think it's probably not just because you said it so authoritatively. And they were like, but, but this is, this is something, and, 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 this is an extreme example, but I know many people who've experienced it. Like if you, if you don't, um, similar, people feel similarly about being baptized. If you're not baptized a certain way, then you're not in the, you're a member of the church. You're not saved. If, you're not, if you don't experience the Holy Spirit in a certain way, you're not saved. Here's the thing. I need you to hear. The very basic understanding of the Holy Spirit is this. You don't have to prove it. God is with you already. Don't feel like you ever have to prove it. The only metric we're even given for what it looks like to be impacted by the Holy Spirit is that you become more loving and more kind and more gracious. It's the fruit of the Spirit. I think I have this, this verse up here you could put up. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, goodness, you know, self-control. If, if we're going to have any metric for... if First off, stop trying to figure out if people are filled with the Spirit. But if we were to do that, this would be the metric. Are you more loving? And let me just tell you this. Telling people they're not saved because you didn't speak in tongues isn't any of these things. It's none of them. And one other thing I'll say about the fruit of the Spirit. I'm not an expert on fruit trees. But the ones that I've been a part, that I've experienced in my life, don't produce fruit year-round, okay? So even if you're not experiencing some of these things, give yourself a break. It's not every day a tree produces this fruit. I heard this one example where it's uh, your neighbor asks you to help roof their house, which I'm just thinking, that is a bold neighbor, first off. This is the example they gave in a Bible. I'm like, that is a bold neighbor. If I'm gonna, I didn't know you were allowed to ask neighbors that. 
but they ask you to roof, help roof the house, and so you go help, and you are not feeling a lot of kindness. You're, it's hot, you're tired, you're frustrated, but no one would argue that you're not loving your neighbor just because you're not feeling some of these things, right? So it's more complicated than this. So the, even this as a metric doesn't quite work. Everything kind of falls apart based on the experiences. So that's the biggest thing. You don't have to prove. God is with you. We accept that by faith, which means by definition, you can't prove it. You just believe it. And in fact, I would go one step further. If you try to, I, I want to prove that the Holy Spirit, that God is with me, the more you try to do that, the further you'll feel from God. If just take from the position and say, I trust that God loves me, God is with me, the Spirit is with me. So, one of the ways in which we think um, we, we feel an obligation to prove that the Spirit is with us is that we experience supernatural dramatic events. And I've had people in my life who have experienced 180s. I've had other people in my life who feel like they've never seen God show up or heard the voice of God. So I've known people across the gamut. This is why I'm talking about this. Here's what I'll say about people who experience dramatic change. I think the Holy Spirit can produce dramatic change in people. I think of one person in particular from a long time ago. He was a family member. He experienced dramatic change. He did a 180. It was profound. I felt bad. I didn't have an experience like that. They went from, you know, light to dark. I mean, it was extremely profound. But guess what? That was a long time ago, and I've known them since for the last 20 years, and they still have work to do. So even when there's a dramatic change, it doesn't end there. It's always meant to be this gradual process of God working in our lives. When I was in, a, when I was in high school, a, a wise person told me this story, and I've shared this with you all at various times. Um, but it's very, it's very impactful for me. It said, um, you know, God's transformation in our lives is very similar to a pebble in a brook. And the job of the pebble isn't to change itself, but to stay in the brook. And over time, the water washes over it and washes over it, and it makes it smooth very gradually. I love this image so much that I included it in a short story that I wrote that's uh, still getting edited, where uh, I, I, I like this idea that this particular culture, that they would, um, their children would pick a, a rough stone and place it in a brook, and then when they became an adult, they'd go back and find it, which it doesn't, I don't think that would work, but it's a short story, so who cares? And they would find it, and it would represent the way in which our community and our faith shapes us and smooths us out over time. So I was curious how long it takes to smooth a pebble. That's a hard factoid to find, by the way, and uh, the best I could do was um, one article that says it can take uh, decades to millions of years. I don't know, friends. That's that's a pretty good timeline for being made perfect in love. Somewhere between decades to millions of years. The important thing, though, is that we stay in the presence of God. And a little bit over time, over time. I was thinking about this and, and, and how so much of our Christian life, and I, I say this because I, I really do believe that, that transformation happens when we can relax a little bit. And, and I'm not trying to lower your expectations of God, but maybe a little bit. Like, this takes a little bit of time. This is meant to be long obedience in the same direction. And I was thinking, me and Alyssa, my wife, were talking about this really popular command in the Bible. It's in a lot of Psalms and a lot of other places where it just says, wait on the Lord. 
I mean, we want things to happen so quickly in our life. We want things to change. We want these habits to go away quickly. But there's this element where Scripture says over and over again to wait on the Lord. I found one article say that, that it's, it's mentioned 116 times in Scripture. That may or may not be 100% accurate, but that's what the article said. And I'm guessing it's probably pretty close because it says it over and over again. Here's a, few of, here's a few of our favorites. Psalm 27, 14 says it like this. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Micah 7, 7 says it like this. Therefore, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. And then I, I, I found this one particular enlightening, Acts 1, verses 3 through 4. Jesus, uh, this is Jesus with his disciples at the beginning of the church. He says, after his suffering, he presented himself to his disciples and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. The gift he was speaking about was the Holy Spirit. I, I, I just sat with that for a second. I said, you know, one of the great commandments Jesus gives regarding the Holy Spirit was to wait. Here's what I know. God is already with you. And the things that you need God to do in your life, the things that you hope to change, yeah, put some effort into it. I'm not saying you shouldn't. Work at it but trust that God's going to show up as well. And if God's not showing up right now, it's okay. It'll happen. Just wait on God. God's already there, but if you need God to move and act, it's a combination of recognizing that God is already here and God will come again, that we accept by faith that God is here and we wait for God to do the next thing. I have found this to be extremely meaningful in my life. There is an immense amount of pressure in our culture and in our churches to have it all figured out. You guys know that that's not, that that bothers me. And uh, I don't like pressure because I struggle with anxiety (laughs) and I, I can't handle it. And the thing that I remind myself over and over again is that God's not done with me. You know, people freak out and like, oh, this has to change right away. And I was like, no, let's get, like, things change best when they change slowly. And they change more permanently when they change slowly. And wherever you are, you will not be there in 10 years because God is not done with you yet. God is with you and God is working in you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we trust that you are able to work in our lives, that you give us hope and transformation. We ask that you would awaken us to your presence and that you would give us, uh, that your very presence, the Holy Spirit, would give us patience as we wait for things in our lives that we struggle with, things that we need to change. We trust that you'll show up when we need it, that you'll move and sustain us, and in the meantime, we will wait for you, knowing that, you're, uh, that our story is not over yet and that you are not done with us yet. And that there is more than enough grace to cover us until we arrive as we are being made perfected in love. So give us grace for ourselves and grace for each other. In your name, amen.